0: If you've been able to be with us over these past few weeks, one of the things uh, that has been really prominent uh, as this story is building up is two things that we've been emphasizing. Firstly, Luke is really concerned that Theophilus is confident and certain of what he's been taught. Uh, And what he's saying is, I want you to be so sure that it becomes life-changing. It actually changes the way you think the way you act, the, your attitudes, your priorities, all of those kind of things. It becomes a life-changing perspective, which is what true faith in Jesus results in. That The second thing that we've been looking at over these past few weeks is the way in which Jesus confronts what I would describe as the religious, uh, the religious elite, uh, those who were really committed to making sure that they followed all of the massive plethora of rules that had been created about what it meant to be a true God follower in first century uh, Palestine. I I guess all of us, to some extent, know what what leverage is when it comes to relationships. Uh, We've all done it, and maybe we still do it in certain ways, uh, you know, what we really want is to uh, click on that order on the internet. So what we do is we, we kind of, we cut the grass, we clean the bathroom, we do all of the things that says, aren't I great? And then we say, oh, by the way, there was that, that was just thinking about buying. And, um, and then suddenly we've got the opportunity to leverage a relationship. If you're still in college or, or school, Uh, Maybe you are one of those people who knows just how to work well with certain teachers. Uh, And you do all the things that that teacher likes and enjoys and is positive. Uh, And then when it comes to that kind of moment where it's the handing in of a piece of work, you're really, really desperately hoping that that person will remember all of the good things that you've done. Uh, through that year, which actually have nothing to do with this piece of work that you're handing in. Uh, I guess that's what relationship leverage is all about. What Jesus has been talking about, however, is that you can be lost in that. You can be lost in that kind of behavior. And this story really concludes the idea of lostness in religious terms. Jesus has previously, in the earlier part of this chapter, He's also told two stories. He's kind of got us on the track of lostness. We've got the idea of a lost sheep. and The shepherd goes out and finds the lost sheep. We've got the idea of a lost coin. uh, And the lady searches diligently until she finds uh, the coin. And then we come to this story of two sons. Uh, And what immediately, as we look at it, let's just quickly recap. We've got a simple story. Jesus is sat there with people around Him. He tells them a story. I love that about Jesus. I love the the way He wants to explain the truth about what He is, who He is, what the kingdom of heaven is like, all of the things that you really need to know. They are really accessible. He tells them in ways which we can engage with. He tells them as stories. And there's a group of people sat around Jesus as he tells them this story. And uh, it's about this man who has two sons. He's obviously a wealthy man. And there comes a point where the youngest son says, give me my inheritance. And there would have been a, a, a gasp from the... From the, uh, from the audience as Jesus told this story, which we'll come back to in a minute. He disappears off, he lives this riotous life, he realizes what a terrible life he's lived, he comes back to the Father, he pleads forgiveness, wants to be a servant, doesn't deserve to be a son, uh, and then he says, and the Father loves him and, and all of that kind of thing, and then the other son is just so angry. And that's the end of the story. That's an interesting end, isn't it? It's interesting because we don't really know the outcome. And as we work through this story, I want you to, to encourage you to think about what is the outcome for me as I place myself in this story? Where am I? Uh, and, and how is the outcome as this story doesn't seem to have any kind of clear conclusion. It's about lostness. What is lostness? There's, there's some kinds of lostness that we think are really great. You know that moment when, uh, I don't know what you're into, for me, it's riding a bike, and it's that moment when suddenly you realize the first 20 minutes you think, I don't, know whether, I don't know why I bother riding a bike because it just hurts too much. And then after 20 minutes, your body just gets used to it and then you're just pedaling away and you realize that the sun is just shining down and you're in country lanes and all of those things that have been going on in your life and taking care of your mind, they're just, they're just disappeared and you are lost. In the moment of this perfect cadence, you actually are in the Tour de France. and uh, That's lostness. And it is lost because there's no chance that we would ever be in the Tour de France. That moment, that's a good lostness. But there's another kind of lostness. There's a lostness of desperation. There's a lostness of trying to find my location. Some of us can remember perhaps when we were younger, we got lost... That, that panic, that deep down feeling, that uh, desperation. Where's, where's my parents? Where's my big brother or my big sister, whoever I was out with? Where's my friends? That moment of terror. I, I think for many of us, that moment of terror carries on right the way through life. We carry on trying to find our location. We try and find our purpose We do lots of exciting things, we do all sorts of things, but deep down underneath it, there is that sense of trying to find myself, because I know deep down I am lost. 1,700 years ago, thereabouts, uh, a guy called Augustine said this, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Yeah, I think that's restlessness is one of those symptoms for many of lostness. You know, it's it's kind of the grown-up way of dashing round the shop trying to find where I am. So let's have a think about this story, this story of lostness. There are three characters. And the characters are really obvious. There's the younger son, the older son, and the father. We're going to look at each one of them. The the story opens up, and I mentioned that there was a shock with one of the lines that Jesus uses. It's verse 12, when the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. That is shocking. might not be quite so shocking for us, Some of us might have said to Dad, you know that three million pound mansion that you're not actually living in at the moment? Can we sell it? Uh, And can I have half and my brother have half and I'll go and buy myself a mansion? If there's anybody in here who's in that particular situation, can I see you at the end? Does that moment of shock Because what the younger son is actually saying to the father is, essentially, think about it in this way, is, I wish really, right now, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead, because then I would get what I will be getting when you die. That is outrageous. It is shameful in a culture which is filled with Shame as the major lever of behavior. The way that we can keep control of society in the first century is we don't allow our family or our behavior to be shameful. And this younger son is behaving in a shameful way. What is even more shameful and and shocking and outrageous is the father does just that. It's an amazing moment. The father says, okay son, I love you. Here you go. <laughs> that that is incredible. And the front son disappears, and he goes away, and it says uh, he, that he squ- he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. There's the younger son. I wish you were dead. He was outrageous and filled with despicable behaviour. On the other hand, there's the older son. The older son is the kind of person that he fits the bill. For all of the good boys, all of the ones that, uh, if you've got daughters, you would love your daughter bring, to bring home the older son. He's the one who you would want to bring home to say, uh, Dad, Mom, this is, this is whoever. Uh, I want you to, he works in his dad's business. Uh, he's been there for 20 years. Uh, and, well, if your daughter's 18, he's been working in the business for 20. Don't you don't want him to come home, do you? but he's just a good guy. Let's look at the youngest son. He set off for a distant country and he squandered his wealth in wild living. You know, I think that just speaks to our culture, doesn't it? It speaks to our world today. There are so many people who are saying, that's really, really what I want to do. It was quite funny, some of you know that we were due to go on holiday down to Cornwall and the car only got us halfway, we ended up in the Cotswolds. Cotswolds is not my favourite kind of place, I've got to say, I know it's pretty, but it's just yet another pretty village. After you've seen five, a sixth is boring, and another coffee shop, ugh. What I found really surprising and very amusing, we were, playing, we were staying just outside of Bourton on the water this lovely picturesque little town, water running through the village with, uh, in a little river, ducks and all the rest of it, you know, just perfection. And there's some of the local kids. It was really funny. Sat on the, sat on the steps, eating chips out of a bag with the noses picked. Total goth look. I mean, they were goths, nothing looked weirder than a goth in Boughton on the Water, eating chips and drinking cider, and I looked at them, I thought, bless you, you just desperately want to leave this place, don't you? And I get it, (laughs) I'm with you uh, right at this moment in time. They just wanted to leave because this is just a boring place. You know what? There is always a bigger city. I reckon they desperately wanted to live somewhere really, really exciting like Cass. <laughs> uh, and if you want to live somewhere really exciting and you live in Cass, where do you really want to live? You want to live in Leeds or Sheffield or really go for the big time. You want to live in London. And if you want to live in London, you want to live in New York. And if you want to live in New York, you want to live in Tokyo. And if you want to live in Tokyo, you probably want to live in New York. There is that restlessness. There is that sense in somewhere else is going to give me that life which is really, really exciting. And he got there. And he would made it. And he lived it up. And then he was left with nothing. I guess there was squander, horror, and humiliation. Reckless living, reckless living in this particular period of time, is extravagant eating, extravagant drinking, and extravagant sex. That's what was going on in this young guy's life right at that point in time. So he's reckless living, then there's a famine and then he's eating with pigs. That's his life. It's the pattern which we see so often, isn't it? In fact, much of our popular press, much of our media lives on this storyline. The idea of going and making it, living it big, and then crashing. How many of our celebrities do our media... Just fill our lives with watching this story unfold. It's not a new story. Some of you will know Sammy Davis Jr. Probably one of the most iconic, recognizable, super rich, super successful. He was one of the key people. He was in the rat pack uh, with uh, Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and somebody else. (laughs) I can't remember there was four of them and they were just maybe five i don't know that's that's transient isn't it and then do you know what he lived he he ended his life in penniless obscurity owing 15 million dollars what a tragedy you see this this story unfolds again and again and again it is part of our life in this world it is part of the, 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 the diagnosis that helps us see how we are lost, how we're looking for something. I mean, that really is lost, isn't it? We can see how lost that is. Every, every one of us come to this story and we've got a lost sheep first, then we've got a lost coin, now we've got a lost son. And that's really obvious, isn't it? Why aren't you, you can almost say, why aren't you like your brother? Your brother? Do you, do you, can you imagine the conversation? We don't, we, we, we don't hear of any other than the father. Uh, maybe one of his cousins might have bumped into him while he was in this distant city. Look at the state of you. Look at the way you're living. I wish you were like your brother because he's just, he's back there, the farm's growing, it's just going so well, he's so consistent, he's so steady, and look at you, you are eating with pigs. And it's that moment he realizes, this has got to end. This has got to end. He leaves the pigs, they're his only friends, it would seem now. And he makes his way back to his father's house and he says that he wants to be a servant. We'll come back to the father in a minute. Because I want to think now about the, the brother. Because we've got, a, we've got a lost son, haven't we? While the son comes back, the older brother is out working. He's been working year on year on year. Really successful. Hard worker. Probably got a team of men around him and they look up to him. They respect him. He knows just what to do throughout the seasons. He's the smart guy and it's really successful. And then he's wandering back and he hears celebration. The celebration is going on because the father has has announced a great party because his young son who is lost has come back verse twenty five meanwhile the older son was in the field when he came near the house he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf uh, because he was in uh, because he has him back safe and sound, and the older brother, at that moment in time is supposed to say. Yes, this is great news. My kid brother's back. He's safe. The way he was living was decidedly unsafe. We don't know whether he's alive, but he's back and he's safe. And there's that moment where a a son who is excited about his brother's return should have jumped in on the party, he should have grabbed a chunk of meat, and he should have grabbed a glass of wine, and he should have had a great time because his brother is back. What do we see? The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. There's the moment where we see that two of the sons are lost, they are both lost. One's really obviously lost. That's just the epitome of lost at the moment. You know, I'll just walk around with a waste paper basket. And... One's really lost. And one's not so obviously lost, but he is. He's absolutely angry. His heart pours out in words. He says, all this time I've been slaving for you. My relationship with you, dad, is slave. That's the relationship that exists between us. I consider you a slave master and I consider all the work that I have done as simply slavery. That's what I've been doing. I haven't lifted a single finger because I love you. I have only ever worked because I am made to. And you're that kind of guy who has never even given me anything to celebrate with my friends. There is a broken relationship And that broken relationship has actually lasted for years and years and years and years and years. In fact, it would seem the same number of years as the younger son has been off in his wild living. One has been lost in riotous living. One has been lost in slavery. There's never been a relationship between either of them and the father. In fact, the, the, the only relationship that sprouts in true affection and true love is the moment where the younger son comes back and he says to his father, I don't deserve to work for you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, we read in verse 19. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. I can, I can imagine the son sitting amongst the pigs, reciting the speech that he's going to make when he gets back to the father. This is what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, I don't deserve to be a son. I only deserve to be a servant. I've been a terrible person, but I know what you like. You're a good man. I know your character. I know that you're the kind of person who will allow me back to be a servant. And I'll be able to work and I'll be able to eat and I'll be able to sleep in a safe place. So will you let me do that? The truth's out. He's been living resentment, the older brother. One of the things that we see is really important in this story, and it's not obvious straight away, is eating. Eating is really key. In fact, in in Palestinian first century culture, in fact, it remains today, eating is absolutely fundamental to relationship. If you agree or promise something over a meal, you have made a promise. You are committed in relationship. That's what eating is all about. Look at the younger son. He's gone out. And he's, he's lived all sorts of riotous, so excessive eating. Next, he's eating with pigs. And he comes back and he's eating at a banquet with his father. The younger son has been eating all along. He's never had any celebratory meal, but he refuses the banquet of his father. It's like he's saying in cultural terms, I don't want to be in relationship with you. We think, don't we? Do you know when I was growing up, I used to really feel sorry for the older brother. I did. Just probably showed where my heart was, maybe. Because I I thought, here's this guy who's done all the right things, Uh, and then the younger son who's been a shocker, He comes back and he he gets a party and I, I can understand. And then when I grew up a bit, I realized what this is all about is saying I don't want relationship with you. The relationship that we've never had is not going to be repaired at this moment now when you invite me in to this banquet. I want to conclude by looking at the Father one of the things to start with is to remind ourselves that the Father represents God. First thing I want to say is that there are two expressions of rebellion, and neither of them are hopeless. One expression is an expression of rebellion, which is wacky, crazy living, breaking all the rules. The other expression of rebellion is just working with this leveraged mechanism to say, do all the right things and you've got to love me. You've got to accept me. Both of those are ways of not loving the Father in any way. And then we've got a moment where the Father accepts back the Son who comes back And the son who refuses to go into the banquet, he goes out and he says, please come in. Do you know one of the great things that I would say is that neither of our ways of rebellion are hopeless. Some of us will rebel against God by doing all the things that God wouldn't want us to do, living our lives as though He didn't exist. That's what the Son is doing. He's saying, I don't believe you exist. I wish you were dead. Therefore, I'm going to live like this. We can live like that in this world. We can live in God's world saying, I don't care that you exist. I want to live my life. And that, that's one way of rebelling. The other way of rebelling against God is saying, I don't want to love you. I just want to do all the things that get me heaven. I want to do all the things that get me heaven. I want to do the things that make sure that when I get to that moment of saying, can I go, go through the gates of heaven? I can say I've done all the right things. And therefore, you're going to say, mm, I've got no choice. I've got to let you in. And God says neither of those will work because neither of them are about relationship with me but both of them can be redeemed how can they be redeemed I thought when Ash led communion earlier and he mentioned one of the verses that really jumped out I thought he was going to read this verse and I was thinking oh right okay that I'm going to have to think about how to make this verse really exciting now because we've already seen it but well I don't have to I can say this is great. Look at this verse, verse 20. The son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. That is the most amazing statement. He saw him that is just beautiful, isn't it? He saw him. What does that mean? It means this older man has probably been sat on the roof of his house day in, day out, hoping that one day his son would come over the horizon. And when he sees him, he does the most outrageous thing in the whole of the story. You think it's outrageous when the son says, I want you dead. This is the most outrageous. An old man pulls up his, sh- his clothes, I don't know what you call them really, the bit that hangs down when you don't wear trousers, you know, the kind of skirts, and he tucks them into his belt and he legs it. I don't think he was very fast but he behaved in the most unfatherly way. Dignity, being right, being aloof, they're all the things that made a father in those days, but this one is just filled with compassion. Before it seems words come out of the son's mouth, he's thrown his arms around his stinking son. Who's just left pigs. And he's kissing him. On the cheek. With just overflowing compassion. That is what God is like. And the son who is outraged and angry. He goes out. And he lowers himself to plead with him. Both of those sons get what they don't deserve. Neither of them deserve the Father's love, the way the Father expresses it. And yet both of them receive it. That is great news. How do we see this now? How do we say, well, is God really like that? know, we see it in Jesus. That's where we see God loving like that. Philippians chapter 2, it tells us that Jesus left the beauty of heaven and came down to the cesspool of this world. He didn't come, come down in some sort of holy bubble with a kind of floaty cloud that stopped any of the nastiness of this world from touching it. Some sort of Teflon clothing that stopped any of the grime getting under his nails. Jesus turned up and got down in the mess of this world. That's what the father is like as he runs out to the son. That's what Jesus is like as he runs out to this world and gets down in the mess. And then what does he do? He's slaughtered so that we might live. If you're not sure about how that works, just catch me at the end and we can talk about it. Because I want to conclude with this. I said right at the beginning, we can be lost in two ways. This is all about lostness. We can be lost in being religiously absolutely stickler to every detail and never loving God. We can be lost because we're not even close to God. They're both lost. Both are redeemable. (laughs) But the redemption has the final outcome in every case. One of the things that we see at the end of the Bible is it concludes with a great banquet, a great party. I find that fascinating. I find it interesting because that is precisely in cultural terms what it means to be friends. God says, ultimately, when you come to me now, you will see a day when we will be friends forever. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1, we read this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride, dressed for her husband. What that means, what that's talking about is the church. That doesn't mean the kind, it means people who love Jesus. They're dressed as a beautiful bride. That is just like that moment where the Father says to the servants, go and get those best clothes. He's filthy. He's covered with the mess of this world. Go and get the best clothes. Go and get a ring. Wash him. Clean him. Purify him. Make him smell nice. Cover him in new clothes. Make him look amazing. And Jesus says that is our destiny. And then once He's looking amazing, let's have a banquet. Let's eat together. At the conclusion of these past few weeks, Jesus has been trying to drum into these religious leaders, don't rely on your religiosity. Because if you do, you're just as lost. As all of those who look really lost. But he does say, Come to me, and you will no longer be lost. You will find that rest. It is life transforming. It is a rest which which means all of those things that we're chasing after to try to find meaning, many of those can have a new a new purpose. A new way of living them. things that we don't necessarily sacrifice, but they don't become our gods. They become the ways in which we enjoy our God.